Father, we pray that you'd use Reverend Sinyonye this moment as he shares with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. For me, it's such a wonderful joy to be back. Uh, we used to know this as Valley Road, Nairobi Pentecostal Church. But I know it has moved on to other names. But it's really, really a delight for me to be back. This is not the first time I've been uh, in this place. Uh, because I remember in 1996, again at the invitation of Pastor Dennis White, I was here. And we spent a wonderful week ministering in this church. Something that I can never forget. It ministered to me probably more uh, than I myself ministered uh, to you. And uh, I want to bring love and greetings from my wife. I have one wife. You know, these are things that one always needs to be very clear about. I have one wife, and I do not only mean physically, but in my heart. I have one wife, and I love her very dearly. Next year, we are celebrating 25 years of marriage, so you are all welcome. You can say, I said it a little bit softly. So that in the case you turn up, <laughs> I, am, I am a little careful uh, about inviting you. But you definitely, any of you who are able to come, will be very glad to see you. And say, Joy, I was really, really greatly honored to be able uh, to be invited to come and celebrate the 50 years of Sitem. Christ is the answer. Christ indeed is the answer. And I remember that sign was there even in the days I was here and in the years when I was at the University of Nairobi it was actually Pastor Mervyn Thomas who was the minister and in those days we used to attend two services at St. Andrews, the Presbyterian church there and then we would run very quickly uh, to atone for our sins under your feet. But let me tell you something very, very special that happened to me in this church under the ministry of Pastor Thomas. It was a smaller church, for those of you that remember. And I think it was around 1977-78 because I graduated in 1978. And that particular day, he preached and challenged us to respond to God's call. And I remember that at that time, I was seated somewhere on his left. You know, it was like two sides like this. And I was somewhere over there. And when he asked people to stand up, those who were willing to go wherever the Lord will call them, I stood up. I did not know exactly when God would say, move. Because when I left the University of Nairobi, where I had come to Christ in 1976... I didn't know what would happen next. I was pursuing an academic career in mathematics. I am a mathematician by training. I only picked up theology much later. And I went and did my PhD and all that, but I remember at the end of my PhD, the Lord was saying to me, it is, I am calling you. And I went and lectured in Makerere for three years, and after that left, and went to serve with African Evangelist Enterprise 
for 13 years before going to where I am at Uganda Christian University. But still, my passion, my heart is in the ministry. And I have nothing in this world that I consider to be more precious than the preaching of the gospel of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is my heart. That's my life. My brother introduced me as a deputy vice chancellor. Actually, I've moved uh, in portfolio. I'm now dealing with the development and external relations. But every time they put me in the pulpit, they know I'm going to share about the love of Christ. That's my heart. And I respond wherever I am able to go. Actually, the vice chancellor did say at one time that you can take John out of the chaplain, say, because I served as a chaplain, but you can never take the chaplain, say, out of him. And that's very true. More time still very much in my heart. Uganda Christian University is only 12 years. And as a matter of fact, we have about 200 Kenyans who are studying at Uganda Christian University. And you are definitely welcome to send more. And they get their degrees there. We have quite a few programs. I do have some leaflets that I believe uh, for those that may be interested in looking at them, uh, just to try and understand what we are doing at Uganda Christian University. But today, I have come to share with you as we celebrate the 50 years of SITM. And a few years ago, I celebrated 50 years myself. And it was a very special occasion as my wife made a big party for me. But you know, as I sat there, and I thought about the 50 years that I was celebrating, I was thinking much more about whether I will have another 50 years. And what, I will, what will I do in the next 50 years? What is going to happen? Ironically, I wasn't thinking so much about the years that had gone past. I spent my chapter thinking about the years that are ahead when the Lord gives them to me. That's what I was thinking about. And you know, it was a wonderful party. And I knew that God had been faithful, as indeed he has been faithful to Sitam. But I also knew that the God who has been faithful shall be faithful in the future. Because he always is faithful. He never changes. And so as I look ahead, and as you look ahead, friends... I want to lead you to the scriptures and I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'll read only six verses, but really my interest is drawn to one particular verse, verse 2. And that's what I'm going to dwell on this evening as we look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you remember that Paul himself had established this particular church. And now he's writing to them. It's not exactly a very happy Later, in many ways, in some of its parts, but I think he says something that is particularly beautiful in what he says there. Second Corinthians 11, and I will read from verse 1 to 6. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 
But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Father in heaven, thank you that this is your word. And as we reflect on it, we ask for the presence, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. For these, your people are here, not listen to my opinions, not listen to my thinking, but we are here, Lord, because we want to hear you. I ask that you speak to me so that you speak through me. And help me to decrease that only you will increase to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, our, the Bible uses several figures to describe the relationship between a Christian and God. The particular figure that I want to take today is where God says you are God's betrothed. That's what I want to dwell on this evening. You are God's betrothed. Sitam, you are God's betrothed. And I want us to look a little bit more at what that actually means. In 1983, I proposed to my wife. I was very far away from her. I was actually in the city of Melbourne. And she was in Uganda, in Kampala. And when I said to her that I intend this relationship to get into marriage, I did not have the opportunity to kneel on one knee and give her ring, some of those things that you young people do these days. I did not have the opportunity to do that. But when I say to her that I intend this relationship to become a marital relationship, there was a commitment that I was making to her that was a lot more serious than mere friendship. And I was committing to her, and I still had almost two more years to go before going back to Uganda, but it was going to affect how I lived the last two years. Because in that sense, I was living as her betrothed. And she as my betrothed. And that's what I meant. That this was going to completely transform my life. It was not going to be business as usual. Your life. You see, friends, I do want you to understand the special relationship in which God has placed us. And that's what I want to spend my time on. And for those of you who may be here, and you probably have never entered into this wonderful relationship of Jesus Christ, I do hope that as you listen, you will say to yourself, I wish I could have it. Because you should. You should be able to say, I desire to have what they are talking about. I desire also to enter this wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.
you have been betrothed. And when Paul says these words, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband. One husband. He's talking about their identity. He's talking about a new relationship that he brought the church in Corinth to. He's talking about a relationship that was so special that you and Christ entered on the day that you gave to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are his betrothed. Now betrothal is not something that we use these days, is it? But when Paul was talking about betrothal in this case, he understood very well what was happening in the Jewish culture. That in the Jewish culture, marriage went through three stages. First of all, there was the engagement, something that was done by the parents or maybe by a matchmaker. And they would go when the children are still young and they would talk to one another and decide who would marry who. That was stage one. And we had a little bit of that in Africa, didn't we? We've kind of lost it now. Young men talk to young girls. And then the next stage would be the betrothal. Where now the girl had the opportunity and the boy had the opportunity on their own to say, I want to get into this relationship or I don't want to get into this relationship. And that was the ratification of the engagement that they were entering into. And it would last about one year. And then after that, there would come the marriage. And what we are talking about this evening, friends, is that we are going through this year of betrothal, each of us as a Christian. A time when we must watch how we... The one to whom we are betrothed is not just an ordinary person. And you see, the biggest mistake that we can ever make and therefore fail to understand how special this relationship is, is if we do not understand who has betrothed us. When Paul says, I betrothed you to one husband, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Son of God who did not have any reason to come for you, who was in glory, who had lived from eternity and he was living to eternity. He had never known anything called death. He had never known anything called suffering. He had never tested what sin is. And that's the one who came down and in his great love, he said, I love you. He said, I love you. And it is to him that we have been betrothed. That's the one who calls us. And he asks us to be in that wonderful relationship. And if you're here and you have never known the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, it is him who is saying to you, the God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as we were singing here a short while ago. He's the one who says, I love you. I love you. And friends, he does not say, I love you the way that we say, I love you to a girl here. Everyone says, I love you. You know, the word love sometimes doesn't mean anything. That's not what he's talking about. I want you, first of all, to understand he had no reason whatsoever to come for you. 
He had no reason. When you are comfortable, you don't think of those who are uncomfortable and you say, let me do this for them and suffer in their place so that they may also be comfortable. You are talking about God who created you and you are living in sin. And as you live in sin, the only thing that God could have thought of doing for you is simply to annihilate you. That's it. But this is the God who loved me and who loves you. This is the God to whom I responded in 1976. This is the God about whom I was told from childhood I had heard about this Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1976, a student by the name of Nathan Munjama who was studying at the University of Nairobi with us sat beside me and he started sharing. And I'm forever thankful for my brother Nathan. As he shared the gospel. And I saw myself in my sinfulness. And I saw that I had no hope. Because let me tell you, without Christ, you are hopeless. That's it. You're hopeless. And as I saw my sinfulness, then I realized that it must have taken a very unusual kind of love. That's why it's called grace. Scorned by this because there is no other word that we could use. Friends, I want you to think what kind of love has been given us. That not only did he come to earth simply to correct the things that are around us, but looking at me a sinner, then it was necessary for him to take my place on the cross for I should have died in that place but he took my place on the cross and Jesus died that I may live that I may live what kind of love is that so when he says I love you I understand it and I know it I know what kind of sinful life I was in. I know when I entered the university here, I do remember I entered with a very obscene language. Studying mathematics. <laughs> you know, by the way, sin does not fear education. You know that? It doesn't. I've seen many educated people who are brought down. I want sin. And there I was studying mathematics. I was getting A's in mathematics. But I was getting F's in language. And the Lord Jesus Christ saved me. And now he says, I betrothed you to one husband. And that one husband is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now I'm going through a period of betrothal where I have been plagued and I'm looking forward. And that's what I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters. Sitam, you have had 50 years of betrothal, but remember there is a marriage coming. There is a marriage coming. We do not live for the betrothal. This is not the end. We live for the marriage. I am living for the wedding and I want to be there. I want 
one day to be before the Lord Jesus Christ to look at those nail-scarred hands and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Know yourself. And to be able to say, Lord Jesus Christ, why did you love me so? Why? I want to be able to kneel before him and be there marveling at the, at the wonder of the love that he has expressed to me. I have been plagued for the time being. And God calls me his betrothed. And you know, in the Jewish culture, when you are betrothed, you were actually regarded as husband and wife. <laughs> the only thing you didn't do was to consummate that relationship. But actually, as you remember with Joseph and Mary, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 onward, he talks about the possibility of divorcing her. Why? Why do you divorce someone who is not your wife? It's because she was his wife. They were waiting for the end of year to consummate their marriage. So that indeed it would become what it should be. And that's what we are waiting for. That's the only thing that we are waiting for. So I ask, do you know a special relationship? Do you know how special the position you are in is? Do you know what your identity is? There are Christians who move around like they have nothing to live for. But I want to say to you, you know, to move around like there is nothing that I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm just here as a Christian. And that's why many Christians, when they don't know their identity, they are actually good pure-warmers and nothing more. They do not realize that the position in which they are actually not only gives them a privilege, but gives them a responsibility. It gives them both. You cannot just be a pure-warmer. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has called you his special one. The one that he owns. And that's why we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And he says you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are God's own. A holy priesthood. That's what you are. And from therefore, you are a person with an identity and you should be able to go out of this place knowing that you're special. I remember when I had just been saved, there was a song that we used to listen to. And it's, it went some, there was a line in it that went something like this. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I am a child of a king. And his royal blood flows in my veins. It was by Skeeter Davis. I remember that song. You see, my identity has changed. The fact that I have been betrothed to Christ means that all my life, everything that I'm living through, I'm committed to him. I am his, and there's nothing that's going to change that particular relationship. But let me tell you, identity actually means a change in conduct. It means a change in conduct. It means a change in the way that we live. Because when you have, when you are betrothed to Christ, you are actually looking to the wedding. As I said before, you are looking to the wedding. And therefore you are a person who lives with dignity. You are a person who lives for purpose. Now where I come
home in Uganda, in Buganda in particular, we do have someone called a Kabaka. He's the king. And he's the, he's the king who rules the largest kingdom. That's where I come from. It's very interesting with the Kabaka because when he's in a gathering like this, if you say something funny, he only smiles. It doesn't matter how funny it is, he only smiles. He's not supposed to laugh. <laughs> yeah, no. He's not supposed to laugh like that. He only smiles. That's all. He just smiles. Why? Because he's the Kabaka. Simple. And when it comes to eating, he does not eat with us commoners. No, they put him in a special room aside. And that's where he eats from. Listen, friends, what I'm saying to you is this. The identity that God has given you also gives you a dignity that means your conduct has to be different. It has to be different. A character. And so when Paul is writing, he says, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. To Christ. In other words, it is intended that for all my life as a Christian, I should be able to live in purity and in holiness. I should be able to reflect the glory of the one who has betrothed me. I should be able to live in such a manner that when the husband comes, he will be pleased with me. I should be able to conduct myself, whether it is in thoughts or in the words that I speak, anything at all, I should be able to conduct myself in a manner that when he turns up on the day of the wedding, there will be no shame. And I can tell you, there will be people who will be ashamed. But the question is whether you want to be among those who will be ashamed or you want to be among those whom he will welcome very gladly. Betrothed. Like the Kabaka smiles. When you are saved, there is something very, very special. It just changes your entire... You see, I'm talking about this particularly because I know these days, I do not know how it is for you here in Kenya, but in Uganda... There was a time when you said, I am saved. Even jobs would come looking for you. There was a time. These days, I remember one particular position that appeared in a government department. They interviewed a number of people and the best candidate was a Christian. And the person heading that particular department said, I don't want to take that person. Reason? He's a Christian. Because he's going to spend all his time praying and doing nothing else. And I'm not talking about his biases that he didn't want him to go to church or anything like that, but it's just that there are many Christians who are mere idlers, busybodies. That does not accord with who we are. That does not accord with who we are. As a Christian, my testimony should be also in the place of work. It should be in the place of work. If I am his betrothed, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to ask me what I am doing with my work. 
if I'm a Christian, if I'm betrothed to him, my testimony should also be in my family. You know, my wife is a professional counselor, and for that reason, I am also a counselor by default. And we get many people, some of them married, who come to us for counseling. And I cannot believe how much confusion and mess there is among Christians, believers. I'm not talking about nomino. I'm talking about people who have a testimony and say, I am saved. And yet when it comes to their marriages, they just can't get on. In one case, I remember a wife who said to her husband, and this is one thing that they brought to us, and she said, you are a terror. In there, a Hitler. That's what she called him. And as we listened to them, we could actually see there was a Hitler in him. Their husbands were Hitlers. Friends, if your identity is the one of God's betrothed, it must show in your family. It must show in your family. You cannot afford to have a testimony in church when you have no testimony at home. You really can't. I remember one pastor. He was preaching in his church and the wife was sitting right at the back. And there he was preaching and preaching and by the way it wasn't me. <laughs> And the pastor kept on preaching and preaching and the wife kept on, kept on telling him as he preached, you are deceiving the local language. You are deceiving. A pastor's wife. You see, you can deceive a congregation. But I have come to learn in my own life I can never deceive my wife. If I stand here to preach and I have no testimony at home, it's useless. Otherwise, you'll preach, you'll do your ministry, and she'll be saying, You're lying. <laughs> God's betrothed must have a testimony at work, in the family, with the children. With the children. One of the things we are suffering from a lot today is absentee fathers. Absentee fathers. I don't know how you are in Kenya here. But to me, there is no testimony if fathers cannot take care of their children. All of them. There is no testimony at all. You can't come to church. You can sing praises. You can do whatever you wish. But when you go back home, if the mother uses you as a scarecrow for the children, there is a problem. You know, there are fathers that are used as scarecrows. 
you wait until daddy comes back. No testimony. I made a decision that my salvation would also be in the family. Make that decision. We cannot afford to be absentee fathers. We cannot afford that. Listen, I have brought up my children with my own hands. And that's deliberate. It's not accidental. I would know the sizes of their feet if you ask me now. One time I actually went, and this was when one of my sons was still too young. I was in Amsterdam. And I thought I should buy him a pair of shoes. But then I hadn't brought his size. And you know these children, they grow and change the size of feet and so on. So I entered a shoe shop. And I looked around at the shoes. And I said, this one will fit him. And I bought it and I took it back. Sure enough, it fitted what I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, especially the fathers, have a relationship with your children. You know what they're doing in Uganda? Now, friends, I've not been in touch with you here in Kenya because you've not been writing letters. So you'll forgive me if I'm saying things that are irrelevant. But it seems like they are. You know, one of the things that really makes my heart cry is to see how we heard of young children into boarding schools. Into boarding schools. Why? Why? You give birth to a child and you torture the child. There's nothing that would bring me more anger. Then you heard of their five years in fact, in Uganda these days, even three-year-olds are being taken to boarding. And when you talk to Christians, they say, you see, we are very busy. They are making money for children they don't have a relationship with. Friends, our betrothal is intended to carry forth into the way that we conduct ourselves. Into the way we conduct ourselves. And the way that we relate to all these people. Whether it is at work, or it is in the marriage, or it is in the relationship with the parents, or it is in the way we drive everything that we do. God is saying we need to live differently. I can move around and I say, I'm God's betrothed. And let it be known by everyone, that's what I am. That's what I am. Because it's a very special relationship that God has given me. Very, very special. You know, if you're God's betrothed, he says, I betrothed you to present you as a pure virgin. As a pure virgin. You know, sadly these days, we are no longer preaching a lot about sin. 
We don't preach much about sin. We have become too dignified to talk about sin. Or when we talk about sin, we talk about those things that are public. We don't want to talk about the things that go on in the recesses of our hearts. Those are not sin because nobody knows about them. When Paul says you are supposed to be presented as a pure virgin, what that actually means is that the purity, the holiness from God must be from within. In your thoughts, whether you're a young man who fantasizes about a girl, repent. Repent. And you lie on your bed and you fantasize about this and that. Repent. What kind of books do you read? Repent. What kind of movies are you watching? Repent. What kind of relationships are you moving around with? Repent. Because God wants a pure virgin. Let me tell you. In the Jewish betrothal system, during the year of betrothal, the father made a commitment. He made a commitment that he would present the girl pure and good for her husband. And during that one year, he even appointed two liaisons. Two people who would be responsible for communicating between the bride, the wife, and the husband and also to ensure that she's, for that whole year, she's chaste. She's pure. She's not just messing around. So much so that even, even if her husband-to-be had to meet with her, they would not be allowed to meet alone. No. Because it was too dangerous. You know, I have met Christians who think that they can actually risk like that because for them they are spiritual. <laughs> and I have never known spiritual people who are disembodied. There are some spiritual people who are disembodied. But you know, friends, they would meet and there would be some other people somewhere. That was intended for them to be chaste, to be pure. Jesus Christ. It was deliberate. And so when Paul says, I want to present you as a pure virgin, that's what he's talking about. We must guard the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Friends, sin is real. If you think sin is not real, it's because you're living in it. If you are never tempted, if you never struggle with the sin, then maybe you are simply flowing with it. As someone put it, 
if you never meet temptation, then you're probably moving in the same direction with it. You're moving in the same direction. But sin is real. And the only thing that we have been told is that when you repent, there is forgiveness. Why? Because of the cross of Christ. Because of the cross. That blood. All you need to do is to go to the cross and the blood flows all over you and you're washed and you can move on. Yes, even for someone who does not know the Lord now, you came in, you didn't know the Lord, you only need to go to the cross and there at the cross of Jesus there is forgiveness of sin. And let me tell you, it has been working for thousands of years and that blood of Jesus has never lost, lost its power. It has never. When I came in 1976 and I gave my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ with my obscene language, you know, I had tried before coming to Christ to give up the obscene language because I knew it was wrong. But when I came that day, it took me like another one or two days and I realized, hey, the language had disappeared. Because the blood of Jesus has never lost its power. And you need to be washed with him. And when you're washed, then you can be presented. Wash and wash again. And wash again. And wash again. Where there is sin, there is need to wash and wash and wash and wash. Because Jesus has never said he's tired of washing you. So why do you stop? Let me come to the conclusion of what I want to share with you. Because I've been talking about God's betrothal. And friends, they are people. I guess I'm a little bit like Paul. Sometimes I think about some people and I feel tears in my heart. Very recently, a friend of mine we had walked together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he went somewhere far from me and I was also not near him. And the next thing I heard about him is that he was living in a polygamous situation. A believer. He was in Christ before me. And so my wife and I called him. And we talked suddenly. The worst thing that can ever happen is a Christian who backslides. They know the language. Listen, he had read the Bible from cover to cover. He knew polygamy was in the Bible. And now he's using the verses in the Bible to justify his living. Terrible. We are still praying for him. But we could not believe sitting with this brother. We invited him home for dinner. We sat with him beyond 10 p.m. My, 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 my. He said, I went into this having read the Bible, having studied it, and I knew there was nothing wrong about it. There we are. That is simply when you get used to sin, eventually it becomes normal. And you start even justifying it. That's why you must never try to make sin a lifestyle. 
Never make it a lifestyle. Friends, we have an identity. And that identity means we must live in a... In every way. Now, as I speak to you, I'm reminded of a story. The story is in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm sure you know it. I'm not going to read it. The story of the ten virgins. The Bible tells us five were wise, five were foolish. And so they went on, and they were going to wait for the bridegroom. And they had lamps. They had one purpose to wait for the bridegroom. They wanted to see him. All of them had lamps. You see that? And if anybody saw them, you would actually know that these people are going to wait for the bridegroom. All of them. The ten of them. You wouldn't know that some were foolish and some were wise. They all looked alike. Didn't they? They looked alike. Like I'm seeing here, I can say to myself, everyone looks like a Christian. <laughs> everyone looks like they're betrothed to Christ. Everyone looks like they have a relationship. They know what Jesus is all about. You know, they looked so alike in every way. They were probably dressed alike. All of them were smart. And when they got to the venue, they all slept. The wise and the foolish. They all slept. In fact, as you read that story, you see more similarities than the differences. But the difference was one. Because the wise carried oil, the foolish did not carry any oil. That was the only difference. And so, when the bridegroom went, it was announced that the bridegroom had come, they all got up, they started cleaning the lamps. I don't know why they were cleaning the lamps, the foolish ones. Why do you clean lamps when you have no oil? <laughs> For what? <laughs> How are you going to light them when there is no oil? But they started cleaning. You see, they were doing everything the others were doing. Like, like people who can sit in church and they do everything because the Christians are doing it. You get it? They do everything like the Christians. When they see, when they say stand up, they stand up. When they say sing, they sing. When they say clap, they clap. When they say right, put up your hands, they put up their hands. Whatever it is that the Christians do, they also. And so these people just kept on, these girls just kept on doing exactly the same thing. And I look here, friends, I look here. And I know that there are people, there are people who are here maybe for fun trip. Because after all, it sounds so nice. The music they are singing is so good. And they love being here. But what I'm asking you, do you really know what it means to be God's betrothed? Do you really know it? And I'm going to challenge you. If you do not know it, if you've not been betrothed to Christ, or maybe you were, but you backslid, you walked away from Christ, you grew cold in your faith, I'm going to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to respond and say, Lord Jesus, I want to come back to you. 
It's not enough for you to be, you know, none of us will ever get to heaven simply because I used to sit in Valley Road, NPC. Bishop Adoyo, you think anybody are going to <laughs> Oh, I used to see that one. And he, Bishop Adoyo is entering heaven and you say, I used to see that one. And you say, you should also go in because you used to see him. No. <laughs> Each of us goes on their own. Not even Bishop Adoyo will pray for you. Please allow that one. No. The only way that we enter heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And therefore, if you came here and you did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to challenge you to give your life to Jesus. Or if you, have, you, you made a commitment to Christ, then you backslid, you went away from the Lord, but you know you know you're not walking right. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life again. Come back to Jesus. And experience the joy that we are talking about. The identity that makes me royalty. The experience that makes me look to the future. And I know that when Jesus comes, there is a wedding. And I will be part of it. I'll be part of it. So this is what I'm going to do very simply. I'm going to pray. And I want to explain it first. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask that if there is any person who falls in any of those categories, I'll ask you to pray the prayer that I'll pray, the first prayer that I'll pray. And I'm giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus and to say I want to be God's betrothed I want to be his I want to make sure that on the day of the wedding the doors will open for me because there is oil in my heart the Holy Spirit himself has taken over that's it so I'll pray and I'll ask any person in that category to pray after let us pray now. Let's pray. Let's pray.